Thank you for listening to the Spare Change Podcast. Finance knows no limits. Today I have on Doug Nordman of The Military Guide. We talk about finding your own financial independence and building confidence and financial independence in your children. Today I have on Doug, The Military Guide. Doug, feel free to introduce yourself and first and foremost, welcome to Spare Change Podcast. Thanks, Austin. I, uh, I've been writing about military personal finance now for about 20 years. And about a decade ago, I published The Military Guide that talks about financial independence and, and leaving the military, whether you get out as a veteran without the pension or whether you stick around for the full retirement or the reserve retirement. Uh, I've also written about uh, raising money-savvy families, and that came out of uh, more talks with my audience about financial independence. And lately, in the last five years, people would stop asking, how do we get to financial independence and start asking, how do we get our kids to understand financial independence? And so we wrote a book about family finances and ways to raise a money savvy family. Still writing, still working on books, uh, still working on blog posts. I think I've, I've hit my stride here and found something I really enjoy doing. Yeah, that's awesome. And one of the things that like really stood out to me when I um, when I ran into your talk at Mill MoneyCon was I'm at this weird intersection of I was out of the military for about nine days when I showed up to Mill MoneyCon, <laughs> if that. I had just recently ended up in the situation of we picked up my 17-year-old brother-in-law from Florida due to family issues, medical emergency type things. Mm-hmm. So now we've got him just trying to get him on the right track. So a lot of it like resonated with me in a way that it might not resonate with other 23 year olds. You know, I've got a 17 year old kid at home and I'm leaving the military. So like everything was right on, um, right on track for me with that. And some of the things I learned, it's like, it it doesn't require, you know, doing everything all at once. It, It can start with something as simple as, Hey, you did a great job taking care of the house while we were gone. So here's a hundred bucks. And that, that's kind of one of the things All right. you and your daughter talked about where it was like, whether or not they have a full understanding of the concept, that that's not going to be the beginning of the conversation. I like the idea that kids, a lot of the times, you know, you give them that first taste of like, here's some money going however you see fit. And then it takes like a week, maybe that. Um, so, you know, he, he bought some stuff that he's still getting good use out of, but he definitely kind of understood that he got the hundred dollars and two items later, it was all gone. So, (laughs) and I think, I think that's one of the things that you were talking about where it's like, when we're younger, we don't have this real understanding of like how quickly money can go away. And one of the things that's super important is like, not only just the value of money, but the value of your time. Like how, how much time do you have to put in and work before you're able to do the things that you really want to do rather than yep. here's, here's what I need to do to take care of all the things I need. And then like whatever's left is for fun. A lot of the times I think that's as adults, we get stuck in that mindset versus like, okay, how can I increase the value of my time? And that's what a lot of mill money con was about for me was like, holding discussions and hearing from people who have been able to shift away from whether it's just shifting away from nine to five or optimizing their time outside of it to build financial confidence and build either 
themselves up as a brand or build themselves up as uh, someone who's more confident in negotiating what they're worth. Um, yep. That's definitely what a lot of the conversations I heard were like kind of centered around. Another thing that was interesting to me is yourself and a few others didn't uh, didn't spend the majority of your time in lectures. You spent a majority of the time like, <laughs> talking to people that were in between um, in those little moments in the lobby when they would kind of stop and ask questions and, and you were just there that kind of like from a position of knowledge speaking to people. So uh, I'm interested to hear some of the conversations that you were able to have just on a like face-to-face -face level with people, some of the things that you got out of um, the speaker end of things and like how you were able to maybe pull some knowledge away from the event as well. Oh yeah. No, no, no. I'm happy to answer those questions. I, before we get into it though, I should say that Lacey, the creator of Mill MoneyCon, took a uh, idea from FinCon. She uh, has been to many FinCons and uh, we both appreciate the FinCon business model. And one of the things that Lacey did was hire a video crew to professionally record everything that happened to every one of the talks. And so I knew when I was out there sitting in the lobby that someone was in there getting a microphone, getting a video camera, and all the presentations would be available after Mill MoneyCon for us to watch anytime we want. Uh, I don't know what uh, type of pass you bought. I got the email last week that said, hey, all the Mill Money Con videos are out, so go enjoy yourself. And because of that, I, uh, over the years at FinCon and now at Mill Money Con, went to presentations less and less often. I mean, I really wanted to hear the keynote speaker, you know, Andrew Cohen in charge of uh, all the touch points for military financial training during your career. That was well worth the time and effort. And I am going through all the videos now, but most valuable to me is being able to sit out there in a the lobby. We joke about lobby con, but being able to sit out there with uh, you know a cup of coffee or, or a glass of water, or maybe even an evening an adult beverage and talk about what personal finance is for the people that are there. Maybe they're trying to build a career. Maybe they're trying to switch into a different career. Maybe they're close to financial independence. Uh, we spent more than a little bit of time talking about personal finance during a global pandemic, followed by a recession and a bear market. And so I find those conversations very valuable, not, not just because I enjoy talking with people, but also because it helps me understand what's important, what the issues are. Uh, Carol, you saw her and I present on the stage, my daughter, Carol and I, and we got that book from all of the conversations we'd had with people for about three, four years prior uh, to us starting to write it. And it was just a simple bunch of questions that I had really never thought about. I kept getting them at conferences and eventually I started thinking about the answers. And then one night I asked Carol, hey, how did we raise you to be a money savvy kid? How did we raise you for financial independence? And boy, she just lit up with all the answers and all the ideas. And so when I'm at Mill Money Con, FinCon, almost any financial conference, a meetup like Camp FI, even just at a coffee shop with somebody, I, I try to pay attention to those questions and make sure that I can develop good answers to them. But it's also, material for eventually another blog post, another book, uh, something else that I need to write about after all these years of financial independence. Uh, maybe I'm not uh, out there necessarily giving anybody new information, but helping them get comfortable with what they think they want to do. 
that's definitely an interesting way to look at it is like it's almost it, it kind of relates to the idea of kind of knowing who your audience is and knowing like hey these are the issues that you've brought to me i didn't even like have to go to you to figure it out you know what i mean so i sure hope i know my audience by now and i'm always finding out new things from them too have talked to a lot of people both in and out of the military who you know they they get stuck in this mindset of okay, this is my situation. These are the solutions that I've come up with to kind of mitigate like, okay, so I've got this many bills. So that's my money going out. And I've just got to like in the same way you would a diet just keep what the good <laughs> things are at a higher level than the bad things. And it works for a while, but I'm not sure that it's like a guaranteed solution to all the problems because um, we end up in these situations where you know, common statistics point to 80% of Americans having, you know, m more debt than they're able to kind of overcome. And yep. also the idea that not everybody has enough for an emergency if one was to arise. So if you think of a car accident, which happens every day, mm-hmm if that can set you back to a point where you can't recover, that's an issue. And especially looking into the community that we talked about originally, which is military folks, at the lowest levels, these guys might not be getting the information they need to like kind of build themselves up and protect them from financial in like insecurity, right. kind of food insecurity was a conversation. Even at the staff and CEO level, food insecurity was a conversation because, you know, there are benefits, but at a certain point, I think the issue becomes larger than um, what people know is readily available in the way of help. Yeah. Uh, I think a lot of people get sucked into the idea that the military is like, oh, all this great pay and benefits and, you know, it's a guaranteed <laughs> paycheck until you realize, you know, not everybody is like well off in the military and a lot of people really aren't. They're, they're almost on the opposite end of the spectrum where, um, you can't, you can't just like quit and get a better paying job when you're in the military. You can get lucky where your command approves you to have like a moonlight gig. But, um, I, I was in kind of that situation where I was like, okay, I've got to make more money somehow. And I picked up a second job in the afternoons. Huh? So I definitely understand what it's like to be in a situation. Like I bought my house a month before I ended up having to pick up the 17 year old from Florida and bring him up with us. Cause there was nowhere else for him to go. So huh. a lot of new money issues were starting to pop up and I didn't have a way of holding that conversation with anyone who was able to help. And I didn't necessarily know all the resources that were available to me. Um, I don't, I don't think that's a, a specific thing just to the military, but it is a problem that might not be as highlighted because people do see kind of whether it's a government job or military or, um, even people who make six figures a year can struggle with finances. So I think, I think yes. it's less agnostic to one group. And I think the idea is maybe, maybe it's more than just an education problem. Maybe it's more than just a specific community problem. And I think 
the American economic system kind of allows for people to accrue more debt than income in a way. Um, oh, yeah. And it can be very predatory if you're not educated on those things. Very curious to hear, like, what issues did you either see or what, what concerns did you have that kind of led you into um, guiding people towards financial independence or at least having that conversation with people? Well, way back when, when we first published the Military Guide, the whole book came out of the idea of all the other books that were being published in the early 2000s about financial independence. Uh, there was Your Money or Your Life. There was The Millionaire Next Door. And another author was writing a book. Uh, his name is Bob Clyatt. The book he wrote is Work Less, Live More. And he was doing something back this in was in 2005. So this was new and cool in 2005. What he was doing was crowdsourcing the book on a forum. So he would publish a, a part of a chapter and ask for thoughts and we would discuss the issues. And it went very well. He uh, published the book. And as that was happening on that forum, there were about 50, 60 military families, you know, service members, spouses, veterans, retirees like me. And we all looked at the information that was being talked about in his book and realized, hey, a lot of this stuff applies to the military. We have other issues that are a little different, but we also have a, a very big tax benefit from having all the untaxed allowances. We uh, probably have health care uh, if we retire and probably have a pension if we retire. And that makes things a lot easier for financial independence. So let's talk about the military issues. So that book grew out of that uh, previous project and the military guide came out of that book and uh, worked out on that form. Um, today I'm updating the book. You know, it's it's been 11 years, so it probably needs a refresh on some of the issues. And so I'm updating things for what's changed over the last decade. The, the core parts of financial independence, where you focus on a high savings rate, that doesn't change. But we all know that there's a new pension system out with the blended retirement system. We all know that some things are a little different in the economy and it's a little easier these days to start a side hustle or to have part-time remote work. And so I, I want to address those issues in a, in a new update to the book. And raising your money savvy family came out of another realization. You're going to raise a kid by spending a six figure amount of money. Now, some people think it's a quarter million dollars. So literally, the U.S. Department of Agriculture has numbers between 230000 to 275000 uh, We were able to do it for about two-thirds of that in our family. But when you're raising someone to be money savvy, you start out by helping them learn how to manage their money. And by manage, I mean you give them a little bit of money, and they can make some choices, and they're probably bad choices. I don't care whether you're five years old or whether you're an 18 year old in the military, you're going to make some bad choices with your money. And eventually you get comfortable with not just handling money and spending it and making change and keeping track of the math. You also get comfortable with the feelings, right? You get a big rush of endorphins when you buy something. You get a huge crushing defeat when you feel the buyer's remorse or when you realize you can't afford it or it breaks or it wasn't what you thought it was going to be. We're a very consumer society here in America. We have great opportunity to earn money and to reach financial independence. But along with that comes a relentless marketing and advertising uh, ecosystem that makes you feel like you have to go out and buy things because you deserve it or because you're going to be left behind or just keeping up with your friends. 
And so you learn to deal with those emotions just by practice. You learn how to manage money with practice. You learn how to deal with spending money and the feelings of overspending and how it feels to be in debt. And you learn how to work with that. If you're going to spend a quarter million dollars raising a child, maybe it makes sense to give them a little bit of that money while they're young as an allowance or for doing their jobs or for helping uh, with part-time work, however you want to do it, depending on how old they are, right? A five-year-old maybe can get a couple bucks a week for allowance. Uh, a 17-year-old is probably not just going to get an allowance, but is probably going to be given uh, some employment income to learn how to handle. And once they start doing that, they can start making mistakes with small amounts of money. With a five or six-year-old, it's just a couple of bucks. 17 years old, you can make a lot more mistakes on a much bigger scale with your money, but it's probably still better to learn making a mistake with $5,000 or $10,000 as a teenager than it is to make a $100,000 mistake when you're in your 20s. And the more comfortable you get with handling the money, the more ready you are to start learning about how to track your expenses, how to cut out the waste in your life, whatever you feel is wasted, right? And how to start saving and investing for financial independence. And you were mentioning earlier how you want to spend more time on your quality of life and spend less time at work and how you want to earn more money without having to work longer hours. Then the idea is that you cut out the things that are wasted in your life. And when I say wasted, those are things that you feel aren't worth doing anymore. But the other things in your life that you want to do, you feel are valuable you've got to be willing to work for those. You've got to be willing to trade the hours of life energy for whatever it is you want to buy or for whatever lifestyle you want to live. And when you do that, you would like to be paid not just an hourly rate for a freelancer or or a, a, a virtual assistant. You'd like to be paid as a knowledge worker, right? You'd like to be paid for all those years of training and experience and all the things you've learned and all the soft skills you've developed, like working with a team or managing a problem or reacting in a crisis. I, I can't think of a better place to learn the soft skills of a corporate life than the military, especially the Marine Corps, right? Uh, totally unflappable by now. Oh, yeah. And when you get, when you get paid as a knowledge worker, right? When you get paid as a knowledge worker instead of as hourly labor, now you can start earning a lot more money or, or even start your own business and pay yourself as a knowledge worker. And that leads to a much greater earning power, a much higher savings rate and faster path to financial independence. I'm trying to download a lot of that. Um, <laughs> I think, especially, especially talking about like trying to keep up with other people. And I think a lot of people get caught up in the idea the image that they see, whether it be online or what they see other people doing in day-to-day -day life, where it's like, yep. oh, he has this, this, and this, or she has that. A lot of people get caught up in the idea of what someone else has versus yep. how they ended up getting that. And that's something I talk about a lot, where it's like someone, someone can make a post on social media with all these nice brands and, or they're driving a nice car and they don't even own any of that, like at all, or right. they went into a lot of debt to get there. And, and it gives off this perception of like, you know, I'm, I'm not doing well because somebody else has more, or I can't afford all of these things, but I definitely want to look like I can. So they go out, yep. they, they leverage someone else's money to buy something and then they can't pay that person back they end up in a situation where they get so down on themselves because they don't have 
and a lot of a lot of the way we've gone online where it's like you're looking for advice in all the places that you're exposed to and you end up like with TikTok stockbrokers <laughs> and you know you've got the ideas careful, careful i have good friends on tiktok who are doing good things but yes it's yeah, still tiktok <laughs> you know, it's, it's a double-sided edge with social media where it's exactly like, you can get all the advice and all of the uh nice fancy brands yep. right there at a moment's notice and that instant gratification of like oh i i know exactly what i want and what i want now versus <laughs> maybe i need to look in places where there's kind of a structure and more like here's all of the steps to get there i think right. people get caught up in the a to z versus all the letters in between right i i agree and it's it's a good and a bad thing like i said where like it can be really dangerous to jump head first into something without doing your own research i know that's that's come up a lot in conversations i've had with people who are interested in, you know, whether it's buying their first house, buying a car, or it's trading NFTs and yep. like trading options. I've seen a lot of people get caught up in whatever celebrities are pushing in the media versus the reality of those things behind the scenes. And that's, that's going to come up in the future too, where it's like, I've definitely got some people who are more aware of Web3 and cryptocurrency. I have no idea. Like, I am very much an out-of-the-loop 23-year-old. I've made this joke before where it's like I talk to people who have AirPods in, and they're having a conversation on the phone, and they are not talking to me at all. I'm interested to hear some of the newer concepts you, you had talked about Um how the world's changing and things are different. Like you spoke on BRS, which is a complete overhaul of what the military had for a retirement system and the changes to TSP, even TSP has a mobile app now. And uh, I, think a lot of people, I think a lot of people might be in hot water with that because you had to change your entire login to even access it now. And there's yep. mutual fund windows that you can pay into if you have 40,000 or more in there. Um, and there's, there's a lot of new concepts in the broader, um, investment world as well with whether it's cryptocurrency or it's, I can't think of many other examples, but that's, that's one of the big ones. Um, yep. I'm interested to hear what you found that's new that you're learning about, or maybe like having to have new discussions that you weren't having before. Well, we when we started having a discussion about the blended retirement system, it actually began in the early 2010s. Around 2014, 2015, the military was doing the quadrennial review that they're required to do every four years by Congress of military compensation, the whole package, not just your paycheck and not just your housing allowance, but also medical benefits, uh, base housing, uh, all the different allowances, all the times of specialty pay and bonus pay. And what they started hearing from military families, by, by hearing, I mean, they would actually go to a base and have a, a seminar in a theater and a couple hundred people would show up. You do enough of those and you start to figure out what the military families want. And one of the things the military families were telling them was, 
hey, my spouse over here is employed at a 401k and they get a match in their retirement plan and they get free money and they have many more investing choices and they have many more things they can do than the thrift savings plan. And oh, by the way, they can do it all on their phone instead of having to log into a computer uh, desktop. And so all of those things went into the hopper with the thrift savings plan and the Department of Defense. Uh, Congress got a little involved too with some legislation that was probably more influenced by lobbyists than it was by military families. Now, the idea of the blended retirement system giving you a match in your thrift savings plan, that's wonderful. That's free money. You put in 5% of your base pay and the military will match 5% of that. But the best part about it is only 15% of the people that join the military serve for long enough to get a pension. What about the other 85%? They're the people who really want the match. They're the people who really wanted to have a little extra money in their thrift savings plan right now when they get out of the military after you know the four or five years of the traditional enlistment or the six to eight years if you've got a little more training. Or what if you're at that 10 to 15 year point, you start to feel like a hostage to a pension, right? The golden handcuffs. If you've been contributing to your thrift savings plan and getting the match for all those years in the blended retirement system, you are able to save much more money and invest it in a way that you're comfortable with. You also end up being able to make that decision about whether you really want to stick around for 20 years. My advice is no, you don't want to, but you are able to have the financial flexibility to make a, a plan, an exit strategy and to carry out your, your plan. So that was one of the big benefits of the blended retirement system is giving the other 85% of military families a much better opportunity to reach financial independence, to have the financial flexibility to leave the military on their terms. And that was one of the biggest deals I think that it brought about. The uh, thrift savings plans uh, software update uh, went about as well as any large enterprise update, any ambitious software project goes. And uh, we all have lived with that result for a couple of months. I think there's a lot of code being patched. I think there's a lot of other little details being cleaned up. Uh, however, uh, there were some problems in the thrift savings plan that are finally getting cleaned up. One of those is just who's the beneficiary of your thrift savings plan? I don't know if you have seen the news stories, but many of the people who had thrift savings plan accounts either didn't have the right documentation for their beneficiaries or hadn't updated that in you know, 10, 15 years. So the thrift savings plan software update essentially started over with a clean slate. And now many, many people, thousands of people, maybe tens of thousands have to go and update their beneficiaries in their thrift savings plan account. That's probably a good time to do that review of your will, of your family plan, of your estate planning, and making sure that your thrift savings plan goes to your current spouse or your kids instead of your ex-spouse or some other awkward arrangement that has long been out of date. Another thing that came out of the thrift savings plan update was just being able to do it on your phone. Uh, I don't know about you, but I didn't have easy access to a desktop when I was in my military career. And if there had been mobile phones, smartphones, and apps uh, during my career, things would have turned out a lot different. And I watch military families today, and you can practically live in your phone if you have to, especially when you're out at the command, out in the field, underway, living in the desert, wherever you are. Uh, about the only people that really suffer are the ones who have no bandwidth, like submariners. But still having that bandwidth, having that phone lets you do a lot more that before you had to do when you were in a finance office with a personal computer or giving somebody a power of attorney. That's gotten much better. And I'm really glad that the app finally got out. Uh, 
one of the things that I do not like about the thrift savings plan update, I can appreciate why it was done, but I think it's going to cause some problems for people who are not financially literate yet, uh, is the mutual fund window. My impression is that the thrift savings plan has been dragging their feet on this for, oh, I don't know, 10 years. Uh, Congress probably 10 years ago said, you should do this because we want people to have more choices. We want them to be able to invest in real estate investment trusts. We want them to be able to invest in emerging markets without having to worry about the international fund, the I fund. We want them to be able to invest in commodities. Uh, why not? Why make this make this stuff happen. Now, Congress might have the best interests of the military at heart, but they might also be influenced by lobbying money. I'm not sure about the controversy there, but I do know that the thrift savings plan eventually decided, fine, for the people that want a mutual fund window, you're going to have to pay for it. If you go to Vanguard, which is owned by the shareholders, Vanguard does not make it uh, painful, excuse me, painless to trade. Vanguard makes it painful to do frequent trading and to buy a lot of exotic investments. If you want to go to Vanguard and get a great total stock market index fund, you'll pay rock bottom expense ratios. That's where the majority of their investments are. If you want to do something out of the mainstream, a little esoteric, a little funky, a little different, you're going to pay more for it. At Fidelity, uh, you may not pay more for it, but Fidelity also finds other ways to make their trading partners pay for it. There are expenses in the more exotic investments, and Fidelity probably has their trading partners paying for some of those exotic expenses of those exotic investments. And even Schwab will charge more fees for doing something a little different. All of that has come back to the thrift savings plan at the mutual fund window and said, if you want to trade your thrift savings fund, uh, thrift savings plan funds in through the mutual fund window, fine, but you're going to have to pay for it. Uh, my advice to people in the military would be, don't touch it. You don't need the mutual fund window in a thrift savings plan. You can do most of that in your Roth IRA or in your taxable account. Put your money in the thrift savings plan for the match. Put your money in the thrift savings plan for the low expense ratios. Put your money in a thrift savings plan because you get the Roth TSP. All those are wonderful ideas, but you also need to invest in a Roth IRA when you're starting out in the military, and you should invest those in anything that you want to have that's exotic, or put your taxable money into that cryptocurrency account you've always wanted to trade, or those non-fungible tokens you've always wanted to trade. If you do that, you're going to limit it. You're going to limit the amount of money you put into that. Maybe. 10% of your overall asset allocation. And I say 10% because that's an asset allocation where it's big enough to really move the needle on your net worth if you turn out to be a brilliant investor in NFTs and cryptocurrencies. I'm not sure I know anybody like that, but maybe somebody could be like that. And 10% is big enough to move the needle on their net worth if they do it right. On the other hand, 10% is small enough to limit the damage if it turns out you're not that brilliant investor you thought you were. And I know a lot of people that are in that category right now with volatility, a bear market, a recession, and investing in things that maybe none of us really understood very well before they all went downhill. I, I definitely agree with, I've seen good and bad sides of new ideas and uh, mm -hmm. even personally new investments where, you know, it started off great. I, I learned what there was to learn <laughs> online about like options trading and right. it, it went really well at first, but I was, I was learning from people who treated those as bets and the, the next round of betting that I did wasn't so hot. So definitely, uh, I think yep. it, it takes 
sometimes it takes that trial and error, but also exposing people to either more risk or a different type of risk that they're not used to uh, oh, yeah. it could be a good and bad thing. One of the things that interested me about it was like, it is capped off to people who have $40,000 in their TSP, which isn't everybody. Um, I right. don't think most new folks in the military are going to have access to it. But when you have 40000 there's also this second gateway. to, Like you spoke about, you're going to have to pay for it. Where if you are interested in the mutual fund window, out of that 40000 you have to commit 25% to even gain access to the mutual fund window. So it's a minimum $10,000 commitment to something that you haven't been exposed to before. And I think for a lot of people, when you're committing 25% of what you've saved up over the years, you kind of want to maybe be taught more before you jump right into it and have like right. free reign access. So I think there's, there's some potential for risky behavior or maybe... <laughs> I wouldn't necessarily call it just risk. It, it is there's an opportunity for you to kind of dig your own hole when you're not maybe taught about it on the front end. Right. I've seen this movie before many years ago. In fact, I was part of it in the 80s and 90s, and I uh, I, I appreciate the lessons I've learned from it. I will say that if you have a high savings rate toward financial independence, if you're saving and investing as, as much as you can, consistent with your lifestyle, but that high savings rate will overcome a lot of stupid investing mistakes that you make along the way. Yeah, there, there's something to be said for uh, providing yourself at least a safety net or some sort of cushion. Yep. Um, I, I didn't always have that mindset very early on. Uh, ran into my, my first unit where it was like okay you're being introduced to the blended retirement system like here's your training that was literally my schoolhouse experience we had to go everybody go take the brs and you you go get educated on it you're still not sure people are telling you well you've got a year to decide that time comes around and then you've got you know, there, there's pressure from the top where you've got <laughs> a staff sergeant who's got his own things to worry about. And he's like, hey, you guys need to enroll in this. And then uh, a more wise crowd kind of steps in where it's like, hey, this major who, I mean, I won't, I won't name him until I have him on, but I've definitely brought him up a few times. <laughs> he steps in, he's like, hey, wait a minute, this is everyone in this room has their own financial decision to make and you pressuring someone into a retirement choice that may or may not be right for them. It causes issues. Um, yep. so I was, I was very much the Guinea pig crowd of the whole thing where it was like, these are the first people that we're going to have at least get the education on it. These are the first people who are going to be given a choice. Now it's no longer a choice you're, you're enrolled as soon as you enlist. So, I think it's a good thing, honestly, from my perspective, where it's like, and we both said this before, where it's like, not everybody is making it to that crowd where you hit the pension and you've got your 20 year retirement and you've got all these financial benefits from over the years where you've set aside deployment money and you've set aside some of these more diverse financial kind of right. protections for yourself. When we're talking about nowadays where we're no longer even awarding like 
the global war on terrorism ribbon because Afghanistan's done and there, there's a large amount of opportunity that's not there anymore. So like monies mm -hmm. from deployment aren't going to be as common and the idea that everyone's now locked into the blended retirement system, good or bad, it's that's that's just what it is now. And a lot of people are kind of in this situation where they just got brought in. They don't necessarily know where all their money's going. I, from personal yep. experience, had no idea the difference between all the funds, hadn't logged into my account for the better part of two years by the time that I first logged into my TSP account, because I was overseas. This is so being in Japan, it was in, it was another level of like, here's the struggle. You know, you got to wait for snail mail to come through APO, FPO boxes, and then it might get to you <laughs> in a relative amount of time. And if you're not out in the field, <laughs> that's only based on if you've changed your address in my pay and MOL and like all these other uh -huh. So just getting to access the TSP was a strain for a lot of people. Right. I think that's where some of that blissful ignorance came in. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's as common of an issue outside of the military where you have to like fight to gain access to your Roth IRA. Um, it, it could be, um, I haven't delved into that side of things, but. I, I, I have some insight into that and there are very few civilian corporations out there who will make the effort that the Department of Defense is making for financial literacy. And and don't get me wrong, the Department of Defense wants to make sure that we're not leaving ourselves open to blackmail or feeling coerced into selling secrets to the enemy. So there's financial responsibility, but also teaching financial literacy and how to become financially independent. Also, those touch points with the Department of Defense program now help you improve your performance at work. They help you improve your financial situation in life. And it's far more than most civilian corporations will do. A civilian corporation will say, here's the 401k. You really should sign up for that. But just like you've got to depend on that staff sergeant in the Marine Corps or then the military who takes you aside and says, this is a good deal. You should do this. You have to depend on that happening in your civilian corporation. You have to depend on that older employee who can take you aside and say, this 401k program, it's a good idea. You should do it. Yeah, I think a lot of people end up kind of almost averse to the idea of putting money away when they're in a position of financial difficulty where it's like, yeah, you know, um, the greatest kind of like analogy I have for it, I, I got it from just, you know, scrolling on Instagram and I hit this one little quick snip, like maybe a minute video. And this girl, she talked about the idea of if you're at the bottom of a well and you're trying to keep your head above water and then it starts to rain, like you're not, <laughs> not so much worried about bailing water as you are trying to stay afloat where I think that's a lot of people's situation, especially in today's economy where it's like, inflation's not slowing up the way we expected it to and right. a lot of people kind of drag their feet on those early warnings of like oh it's it's going to be over quickly inflation's just like it, it's going to be a moment in time and we're going to get through it and then now we're in okay is this 
a recession and we're trying to define the word recession back and forth. Um, <laughs> and it's a unique situation, but it's also not at the same time. And I think a lot of people that I've talked to are kind of unaware of like cycles of the market and, you know, there's upturns and downturns. And eventually once you realize like, Hey, the market's down, but it's not always going to be that way. I think a lot of people get over involved in, like kind of over emotionally invested in the idea that, oh, inflation's killing me right now. I can't afford this, this, and this. And even something as small and like granular as gas prices has become a daily topic for people. Right. That's, that's almost a concern where it's like, if all you're talking about is gas prices and the price of food, what other things are going wrong financially to where that is like your main daily topic, you know what I mean? Well, I, I was there uh, in yeah. 1981 when I was coming into the military, I had a checking account that paid 10% interest. That's not a typo. That's 10% per year interest in a checking account. And it was because it was just a checking account. This is when you could buy CDs that paid 13 or 14%. You could buy more advanced investments that paid a little higher interest rate but inflation had been very high for a very long time in the 70s. And gas prices during the 1970s, you've, people have probably heard about the fuel crisis and uh, that can leave quite a mark on your psyche for a very long time when you've had to live like that for several years. And now it's come back, but we've had a whole generation to forget of people who've never experienced it or people who ideally never want to experience it again. The whole point is financial resilience. If you're used to saving money, even if your savings rate is only 5% or 10%, if you're used to doing that and you get hit with sudden expenses like a higher gas or higher home expenses or higher food prices, inflation starts taking a chunk out of your budget. You've been saving 5 or 10%. And maybe you have to give up a few percent of that savings rate to get through that period of inflation while you adjust, while you figure out ways to get around it, maybe while you get qualified, get promoted, get more money in your paycheck. But the idea of financial resilience is you know how to live, to invest, have some savings going in, and you can back off on that if you need to. You also have an emergency fund because you've been saving a few percent for a few years. And so that emergency fund, maybe this is a good time to dip into that for uh, a spike in gas prices or having a car go bad at the worst possible time during the pandemic. Those are all the kinds of techniques that give you that financial resilience to get through whatever the crisis is. And we can focus on this crisis right here, inflation, gas prices, we can focus on the last couple of years of the pandemic, but there's always going to be a crisis like that. And there's always going to be a reason where today is a bad day to invest. And so the more you put yourself in a position where you have to think about investing, to where you have to analyze the market. You've heard about paralysis by analysis. So the only way to avoid getting stuck in that loop, the only way to avoid having to deal with those questions every paycheck is to set a savings rate and then put it in autopilot. And by putting it in autopilot, you can say to yourself, you know, the market really sucks this week. This has been a bad week for everybody. The stock market is down, gas prices are up, inflation is horrible. And then you can console yourself by saying, but I've still got 5% going into my thrift savings plan for that match. And 
5% in my thrift savings plan this month is buying me a lot more shares than it was last month. And it's forcing the government to give me a lot more shares this month for the match than they were giving me last month. There will always be a crisis. There will always be a bad time to invest. But if you, you know, cut out the waste and build up that savings rate and put it in autopilot, now you're ready for whatever the crisis is. And we all know the real problem with a crisis is nobody ever sees those coming, right? That's the whole definition of a crisis is something that you would have avoided if you had known it was coming. And the reason you're in a crisis is because nobody saw it coming. But you can develop good habits that will get you through any crisis, even if it's one you've never expected. I do think, though, one of the unique things now is the amount of time between where we're at now and the last time it was like this, where a lot of people talk about, you know, every five years, typically something downturn in the economy, right? Yep. But between now and 2000, like 2008 and maybe a little after 2008, that's, that's the only comparable um, economic downturn since. So when you're talking about almost double if not more the time between i think a lot of people were in this mindset of i haven't seen financial issues since i was a little kid now they're in their 20s and they're like oh you know everything's (laughs) more expensive what is going on and i I understand what mom and dad were saying (laughs) yeah even back in um like about a month ago i talked about the expense of fireworks and how how much less bang you were literally getting for your buck um, and it was like, I want to say 17% more for the food at the cookout and 35% more for fireworks. I might have wow. flipped, but it, it's incredible to see. And, and I don't come from an area where everybody's, you know, just got money to throw away. Most of right. the people in my hometown, I've spoken about this a couple episodes ago, but I, I'm from one of if not the poorest county in florida and people there it's like the mindset shift doesn't happen where it's like you know i can get out of here and there's two options i can join the military or i can move and potentially be in the same situation i'm in just somewhere else right and a lot of people just end up stuck in the patterns that they've been taught and i think right one of the things that you at least one of the things that I at least heard from you more than once where it's like, you can break away from what you've been taught, but you can't change what you were taught originally where it's like, if you weren't taught in the beginning, that that's going to be what it is. And it, if you don't at least take steps to teach yourself along the way, you're only going to have that foundation. So And sometimes it's just surrounding yourself with a different group of people and the military does a wonderful job of that. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely think one of the key things involved in that where you're changing little things to improve your own situation, whether it's starting a Roth IRA or if your employer says, Hey, here's a 401k investment opportunity for you. Yep. You could either blow them off or you could kind of start to shift the way you think. And it's like, okay, they're going to match 5% or up to 5%. So now I'm going to put in 5% and I've got 10% saved deal. Like 
I know it was definitely a game changer for me, and there's a, there's a time limit on it where they start to match more, but I wanted as much as possible, so I kind of jumped off the deep end, deep end, took my like recruiting yeah. advice. He was like, you know, 10%, and I was like, I kind of want to be more aggressive than what my my recruiter taught me, where it's like, <laughs> okay, he said 10 Let's kick it up to 15 and see where it gets me. Um, nice. And like I said, I didn't touch that account, so it wasn't great. I wasn't getting the money that I thought I was getting at first. Everything's in. And that, that's one of the things is like be aware of what you're buying into with your investments. If it's not providing you the return, if you're not even seeing what's happening with it, you should definitely be at least somewhat more aware because exactly an investment that you're not watching at all is a lot different than an investment that you check either monthly, annually, weekly, whatever it is. If you're at least getting your eyes on where your money's going, it can do a lot more for you. And that's something I didn't pay attention to for at least age 18 to 20. I had no idea what was going on. So it was like but the, the good news is that you had money invested in the stock market or, or in the G fund even. But the point is that you had money set aside and you were saving and it was earning. I mean, time in the market will overcome a lot of those mistakes. Eventually, I figured it like figured out what I needed to do to get somewhere. Um, but I don't know. Even I think this is one of the bigger like narratives around some of the things we've talked about where it's like, you're not going to know everything, you know, you, you <laughs> have to start somewhere and even things that I know that other people don't know, I'm still learning more about now. I think you could probably um, agree where it's like, you could teach people all day long and still learn something new from someone in the audience. No matter oh, yes. what it is. And um, I've definitely picked up a lot of things. Coming out of the military and six days later being at a financial conference wasn't in my plans. <laughs> There's no plan for that. What an opportunity. One of the good things about social media is like I ran into Brandon Childers, who was a speaker hmm. at the conference. And you, you asked kind of like you were like you didn't know. How, what kind of tickets I got. I was very much on a scholarship because I wasn't, I wasn't ah. a bunch of money to drive up to North Carolina or Raleigh, North Carolina from Jacksonville. And then like, I didn't know anyone there outside of Brandon who I knew through Instagram and that was it. So now coming out of having one episode for this podcast recorded with Brandon to now having yourself on for episode 17 and having a network that knows so infinitely more about money than I do has like, I'm not sure if you watched any episodes of Jimmy Neutron, but like where <laughs> they zoom in through his ear and it's like brain blast. Yeah. That uh -huh. yeah. What happened in so many ways for me where I've talked to people in the real estate investment side of things and i've talked to people who own their own businesses talk yep. to people like yourself who are writing books about how to build finances for the people who probably are going to need it the most whether that's like new parents or people who have two kids and they have no idea how to teach them about money because they themselves don't know or they've just never had that conversation with a kid or had that yep. conversation when they were a kid um yep. definitely i think there's opportunity to learn everywhere and 
I've, I've been extremely blessed to have picked up quite a few contacts who know so much like and have been in the financial industry and other industries for so long I definitely appreciate the opportunities I've been given um, I appreciate you coming on today and no, thank you I just wanted to say thank you first and foremost for you know spending some of your time to talk to me because you know I'm just a just a 24 year old kid with a mustache in his garage and it's <laughs> my life right now but and 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 you've gone to mill money con and you've started a podcast uh i, I don't know have you made plans for fincon 22 next month yeah so i'll be well there, there you that go was, that was one of the big things <laughs> that i was definitely planning on doing was at least seeing where mill money con got its roots and talking to yourself uh yeah i know Lacey and dave will also be there uh yep. dave from military to millionaire and Lacey, uh founder of Mill money con um but yeah, I definitely, like I said, I appreciate all of the opportunities I've been blessed to have. I'm, I'm glad to talk to your audience and uh, and help spread the word. Not that we're incredibly short on time, but I at least want to give you some time to kind of tell people some things that you would have liked to know early on, uh, tell people resources that they can kind of help themselves with and where they can find you. And then we'll go into like final words. That sounds great. The books that I've written are both uh, in the public library system. So there's the Military Guide to Financial Independence and Retirement. That's been out for 11 years. I'm writing an update. Uh, if you read it from the library and you see something in there that you'd rather uh, find an update on, let me know. Uh, we're working on that now and we'll have another edition out uh, in the future. If you've got the ebook version of the Military Guide right now, uh, we'll just pump out a new ebook version through Amazon so you don't even have to buy the new version. It just updates itself on your Kindle when you ask it to. The other book we wrote, uh, Raising Your Money Savvy Family for Next Generation Financial Independence, that's my daughter and myself, Carol and myself, that's also in the library. And that's a great read for learning how to teach your kids financial literacy at a very young age by giving them enough money to be able to learn a little bit about managing their money, but not so much money that they can declare that they're financially independent before they graduate from high school. And it's money you're gonna spend on them anyway, so why not give them a little bit of it to work with to learn how they're going to treat their money and become financially literate. Uh, I'm online, uh, I've written a lot of blog posts at The Military Wallet. Uh, that's a, a blog that's owned by Ryan Gana, now owned by uh, Three Creeks Media. I also have my own site, uh, which I'm going back to and starting up again with my own personal finance journey. That's militaryfinancialindependence.com. Uh, I spend a lot of my time on Twitter as the military guide, and uh, people can always email me. Uh, my email address is nordsnords at gmail, and I get a lot of questions there that people don't want to ask in Facebook groups or, or online in a public forum. So that's a great way to reach me. And the lessons I wish I'd learned, well, the first thing I wish I'd learned is to start early. Uh, the amount of time you have in the market gives your money that much longer to compound. Uh, I wish I'd written these books 40 years ago. That would have had my military career turn out a lot better. Another lesson that I refer to many times is that I wish I had the courage and the knowledge to leave active duty when it was time instead of gutting it out to 20 years. And that's a more uh, long uh, complicated discussion, but if you reach a point where you wake up in the morning and you're no longer feeling challenged and fulfilled by being on active duty, that's a, a hint 
that it's time to start planning a transition to the reserves, to the National Guard, maybe even to full cold turkey civilian. But my advice is if you have been saving and investing for financial independence, then when you get to that retention decision one day at the 4, 8, 12, even 16 year point, having that financial resilience gives you the flexibility to make those choices so that you do not feel like you're a hostage to a pension and you do not have to gut it out to 20. Yeah, I'm not so sure that I'm financially independent or that I was like at the stage of being ready. I definitely know that five years was time for me either way. And I didn't have plans yep. or um, necessarily permission because I don't think the Marine Corps <laughs> like me. But I definitely knew it was going to be time. And the foundation that I got from the military, while not perfect, I learned lessons there. I don't think it's for everybody. And I don't think going yeah. to 20 is for everybody. As, as much as people speak about a military retirement, it's not often the case for the larger portions of the military that are getting out very early compared to 20 years. And one of the concepts that everyone I've talked to from the military, once I was outside, it was like, you know, not everybody is going to stay in the military and everyone leaves at some point. So uh, I think that's interesting to hear, especially since you were able to complete the entire task at hand where it's like, (laughs) it wasn't pretty, but we got through it. Long time to commit. And that's right. um, I definitely think even now, one of the things that I've grown interested in doing is like, okay, I have a time horizon for when I'm ready to leave anything. So if I, if I feel at least comfortable in leaving, everybody had an EAS counter when we were (laughs) your guys where it's like, I have this app on my phone that tells me the exact down to the minute, how long I have left in this organization. Yep. And now I've transferred that to other tasks at hand. Like I want to be doing something else by this point in my life where I have a counter for like when I want to have a degree from college or when I want to be at the current job that I'm working or how long until, how long until a kid born in the next two years is 18. Like when am I going to be retired from like, actively managing a teenager. (laughs) (laughs) I will tell you that parenting is a lifetime sentence with no parole for good behavior, but it's the best job I've ever had. And I value it tremendously. Although in retrospect, I think I should have had the grandchildren first because they're a lot more fun. Yeah, I definitely, uh, it's unique, (laughs) especially being 24. Like I'm only so much older than the kid in my house now and it's not it's not for everybody but i definitely have learned kind of and and i think it's backlash from my teenage years when i ended up (laughs) when when i ended up in a household that was run by 23 year olds i was like okay they have to put up with me this is different and now i'm on the i'm on the other side that that foot finally dropped where we've taken the next step and now i have a teenager in my house but uh, i've learned lessons and uh, coming straight off a of mill money con, you know, the house is well taken care of. The dogs are alive, you know, Good. did everything I wanted. Here's a hundred dollars. Like I said, and he, he did his own thing. So I think some of the lessons I've taken from yourself and others at mill money con are going to be important in the future 
whether it's with my own kids or other people's kids, uh, definitely an uncle to many. So, right, right. Um, just like the wealth of knowledge that I've gotten in the past few months, it's been this is month four, going on four months out of the Marine Corps. So, definitely a lot of knowledge has been imparted. Um, and like I said, I definitely appreciate your time today. Uh, I hope you have a good rest of your weekend. Um, you too. And, you know, any, anytime you want to come back on, I'm more than welcome to set, uh, like you're more than welcome to come on and I'll set something up and we'll, I'll probably have a more focused discussion. This is a very raw format, but. Well, we'll, we'll see you at the uh, podcast table at FinCon and maybe even in the video booth at FinCon. And, uh, you know, you've got a couple of weeks to put together some questions for me and David. And uh, I don't know if uh, Kyle is going to be there or whoever else shows up from your guest list. But uh, you'll have a great chance to go back and revisit topics, and, and it's in the middle of a huge crowd of energy. Uh, you'll also be able to find me at the uh, FinCon Authors booth in the Exhibition Hall, FinCon Central. So uh, we'll, we'll, we'll connect, we'll do some more at FinCon, and then we'll make more plans for the future. I'm happy to come on anytime. Absolutely. I have probably two or three more episodes before then, so I've got okay. something Excellent. to look forward to between. Um, and like I said, appreciate your time. Hope you have a great weekend. Uh, All right, Dustin. Thank you for listening to Spare Change Podcast. Please follow, share, and remember, finance knows no limits.